Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. We have a lot of bird lovers here on Where We Live, but today we're flying into a pretty controversial bird species. Some cultures revere owls, some do whatever it's necessary to keep them away. Whether you love them or hate them, owls always have been a source of fascination, and I'll tell you about them. Author and science writer Jennifer Ackerman joins us today to talk about her new book, What the Owl Knows, The New Science of the World's Most Enigmatic Bird. She's also the author of The Birdway and The Genius of Birds. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be here. And it's a delight to have this conversation with you today. And a note for our listeners, have you seen or heard owls around where you live? We want to hear from you. Join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Jennifer, we need to get your OG story of how you got fascinated with owls. So where did it start? (laughs) Well, um, so the first owl I ever saw was actually a Mexican spotted owl in the Chiricahua Mountains in southern Arizona. And um, I had a a field guide with me, um, just a little manual, but it was many years ago. And um, it said to look for this owl at this branch overlooked. Uh, top of trail and and I thought yeah right I'm, <laughs> I'm this is many years old I'm not going to see this owl well sure enough I get to this spot on the trail and there is this um absolutely beautiful little owl roosting on this branch overhead and it um it was so camouflaged that I really wouldn't certainly wouldn't have known it was there unless um I uh I had this little guide with me and um it was really the 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 spark i think that um that they're just they're they're such fascinating birds they're so um they they're so quiet and they well camouflaged and you know i love birds all birds but i <laughs> i really i wanted to take a deep dive into a family of birds and really into their their biology and behavior and owls are just they're so unique in the bird world you know they're such skilled night hunters they have this really eerie quiet flight and these extraordinary senses so um you know when i started to think about writing a book about owls they really they made my head kind of sizzle with questions you know what makes an owl an owl and and how do these birds get to be the way they are they're just so different from other birds well, I love that des- description that it made your head sizzle. I was picturing more like t- your head turning like an owl, like a you know, <laughs> like a very dramatic turn of of the owls. And and I mean, like you said, it, there's so much fascination with owls. I mean, I've always been fascinated as well, and I'm sure a lot of people are still. And it seems like they've always been enchanting us and they've captured our imagination. 
and you know through real life and in, in literature. And, and you describe in the book that they appear as paintings in France dating to 30,000 years ago. So can you talk about some of the notable pe- people in history who have been obsessed with owls? Yes. Well, first of all, that um, that etching of an owl is in the Chauvet Cave of, of um, southern France, and it's the first known representation of a bird. Um, and among the oldest examples of cave art that's ever been discovered, it's 36,000 years old. And I love to imagine somebody, some you know ancestor of ours going deep, deep into this cave to make this beautiful etching of an owl. It has you know, the little tufts on its head, they're called plumicorns. And so it was probably a Eurasian eagle owl or um, a long-eared owl. And really, since then, you know, as you say, all over the world, owls have, have, they they just pop up in our myths and our stories as, you know, symbols. And and so, uh, you know, uh, people have been obsessed with them really for for centuries. And there's some really... (laughs) There's some famous um, characters who have had pet owls, um, you know, I think a particular of Florence Nightingale, um, and she had her her pet little owl. Um, and, uh, you know, she, this little owl was named Athena, and she actually um, rescued it from some uh, small boys who were <laughs> tormenting it in Athens. Um, and she used to carry it around in her pocket, and she was very attached to this little bird. But when the war broke out in the Crimea, um, and Florence Nightingale, she felt like she had to take her her nursing to the field. She actually put this, this little bird, Athena, in her attic before she left. And she thought the, that that Athena would feed herself on on mice and whatever, you know, was running around the attic in, in Nightingale's absence. But that little owl was far too domesticated for her um, to hunt for herself. So she she just sat there waiting for her meals and, you know, eventually uh, starved. So very sad ending to the story. Um, but Picasso also was um, uh, uh, really, really obsessed with owls. He um, rescued a, a, also a little owl. This is a species called the little owl. And um and in 1946, uh, Picasso found one of these little owls that was injured, and um, it was in the Musée d'Antibes where he was staying. And he um, took care of this little owl, took it home to Paris, and they, the two of them, developed this very tetchy relationship. Um, they would, they, the owl would sort of snap at Picasso, and Picasso would swear at the owl. But um, still, it, it was a kind of muse for him. And in um, many of the etchings and prints, the ceramics of the time uh, feature this little owls that, uh, uh, that 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 you know Picasso was just um, was just fascinated with. And there, the the little owl in in these scenes that Picasso created are are often um, presiding over these scenes of debauchery, and they're kind of gazing at the viewer. Um, so it was a yeah, a, definitely a muse for for um, Picasso. Well, and I did a I did a quick search, and and I I saw pictures of the owl, and I couldn't help but think, man, what stories that owl knows <laughs> from Picasso, um, for sure, right? And and so I I think as you say, like owl, owls has always been very fascinating, and and people have been fascinated by it for so long. But I think also in recent times, there's been an increase in in popularity, and and a lot of people are trying to even adopt them as pets 
problem a lot of a lot of times most likely from the Harry Potter effect. So have you seen that happening or do you know what's happening there? Is it is that still a big thing? Yes, well, it it was certainly a big thing after the Harry Potter books came out and the movies um and it was true in um certainly in the UK there was a big surge of interest in keeping owls as pets and also in places like Indonesia where you know pet birds are very um very common uh, before the Harry Potter books there were no owls in the pet markets in in Indonesia but after the the books and the movies hit um the the uh the presence of owls in those markets really surged um i will say having a pet owl is just a terrible I- idea <laughs> in in most countries um the us australia um other places it's illegal to keep owls without a, a special permit and you know licensing but really more to the point these are wild creatures and they um they need to be out in the wild and they're very very high maintenance uh, they're very difficult to care for you know they they eat rodents and and an- other animals that have to be fresh um i just had the experience actually of, of feeding a um a little eastern screech owl at um, the raptor trust in new jersey and they they gave me a little bundle full of of rat and mouse parts <laughs> and i would do. hand feed this bird with them and i got a little sense for oh my gosh this would this would be such a thing if you had to do this every day you know and their 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 droppings are are messy and stinky they have these sharp talons they can actually damage furniture and and uh, puncture skin and you know in, in the breeding season they hoot all night long so they they uh they keep you awake um so it's really um it's really a, a terrible idea to have one of these birds as as a pet and as i said really the the important thing is that they're wild birds and they're really meant to live their their lives in the wild right and and i think historically it's it's always been a popular animal and then with the recent fascination from pop culture you know how, how do you how do you think or or how do different cultures view owls you know how, has that changed over the years or has it kind of been the same um, I think, you know, it has varied tremendously from culture to culture, um, you know, the, the uh, and sometimes the attitudes have changed, um, they've shifted from very negative to more positive. Um, but there's some cultures, and I think particularly of like the Ainu people of northern Japan, who really revere owls, and they consider them protectors of their villages. The, the same is true of the the Yagan of Tierra del Fuego. Um, they they think of the barn owl as this kind of wise grandmother who who gave them life giving water. But other cultures have really viewed owls as know, emblems of evil, as witches, you know, bad omens that are linked with death. Um, in Belize, uh, owls are, are continue to be viewed as as real bearers of bad luck. So if an owl comes to your house and calls it means that someone in your house is going to get sick or die. And that view of owls or some, you know, very slight variations of it is actually a prevalent perspective in, um, in a lot of countries in Zambia, Kenya, Nepal, but they're great, really great educational efforts going on in those countries to try to shift attitudes. So people really understand the, the, the nature and natural history of owls and see them less, um, you know, less as these kinds of omens and and more as just birds. 
Right. And I find it so interesting, you know, the roots of, of those stories and, and why, you know, one person thinks it's a good omen and the other person doesn't. And and considering that the first cave etching of an owl was 30,000 years ago, can you talk about how old owls actually are? Like, I don't think I've ever really thought about, you know, where do they come from? You know, in the book, you say owls are as old as the dinosaurs and may have even survived the asteroid strike. Well, so this is the thing, um, uh, you know, there, there's been some really interesting research in paleontology recently. So we now know that the owl owls first appeared on Earth about 55 to 65 million years ago. So they they didn't didn't predate the um, the asteroid strike. They evolved right after it. Um, but like all birds, you know, they arose from a um, an ancestral group of they were small and they were mostly predatory little running dinosaurs and they lived together with the bigger dinosaurs but when that big asteroid struck earth it triggered that the mass extinction that killed off most of the big dinosaurs some of the little ones those little running dinosaurs survived and including the um the forerunners of today's owls and all other living bird species so it's very interesting when when small mammals came out from from under the shadow of those big dinosaurs after after they had died off the big ones um those little mammals began to diversify and some of them like i think of the the ancestors of mice and shrew and possums they actually took to to night niches and owls eventually over evolutionary time they adapted to this this nocturnal <laughs> feast you know and they diverged from their their day active sister birds and evolved the suite of I think really remarkable traits that um, that help them with night hunting like uh, good vision in dim light, uh, really superior hearing, and these um, soft camouflaged feathers that are tailored for quiet flight. So I definitely want to get into their vision and their hearing in a little bit, but you mentioned coming from dinosaurs and, and other birds, you know, how, how are they related to other birds and what separates them from other birds of prey? Yes. So, you know, we used to um, think that owls were most closely related to, to falcons and, you know, hawks because they have a very similar hunting style. Um, then we lumped them in with, with um, nocturnal, other nocturnal birds like uh, night jars. Um, but the, some new DNA research shows that the, some scientists think that the closest relatives to owls aren't those, you know, hawks, those other birds of prey or nightjars, but actually um, day active birds like um, kingfishers, woodpeckers, bird called the speckled mouse bird. But the truth is that the jury is still out and there's um, still a lot of DNA research that's going on that's like shifting the, the family tree of birds. So we still have a lot to learn. And absolutely, and I'm really glad that we're having this conversation. Um, I there, as you can hear, I'm like my mind is just blown by how much I'm learning just within like 20 minutes of this conversation. Um, can you talk about? Do you know how many species of owls are there? You know, how do they look different? I know there are so many of them in your book, and we particularly really enjoy the elf owl, which is super super cute with a six foot wingspan, really I believe. So that's that's pretty incredible. So can you talk about some of the species? Yeah, uh, the, the diversity of owls is really, truly staggering. I think there are um, between 250, 260 species, and they range, they just range widely in size and appearance. You know, they're, the biggest is the um, 
the massive Blackiston's fish owl. And this bird is about the size of a like a fire hydrant. And it and it's um it's also just a little wacky looking. It has these very tousled ear tufts. Um and then you've got all the way down to the smallest owl in the world, which you mentioned, the tiny elf owl. And it is really this little nugget of a bird. It's about the size of a, a little pine cone, but boy, is it a fierce hunter. Um, and owls, you know, they live on every continent except Antarctica, and they've adapted to uh, just nearly every kind of habitat. So they live in in grasslands, in deserts, boreal forests, rainforests. And here's something really cool that um, I learned in the in the course of researching the book. Much to the amazement of researchers, there are new species of owls that are still turning up. Wow! So, um, for instance, the the long whiskered owlet. This is a bird that really stunned scientists. It was discovered in the the 1970s in the Andean Mountains of northern Peru, and it's this tiny, bizarre owl. And it's so different from other owls that the scientists actually put put it in its own genus, um, Xenoglox, which means strange owl in Greek. Um, and really, as recently as last year, a park ranger found a, a new species of scops owl on an island off the west coast of Africa. It's called the Principe scops owl. Well, I'm going to be thinking about those little nuggets of owls for basically the rest of the year, I think, after this chat. Um, you've been listening to Jennifer Ackerman, who's the author of What the Owl Knows, The New Science of the World's Most Enigmatic Birds, who is with us today, and she'll be joining us this hour to talk about uh, these birds. And listeners can find a link to her book on our website at ctpublic.org. And you can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Today, author and science writer Jennifer Ackerman joins us today to talk about her new book, What the Owl Knows, The New Science of the World's Most Enigmatic Birds. Every winter, snowy owls pass through Connecticut, and sometimes they're spotted on our shoreline. But they're just one of the owl species to look out for around where we live. 
So if you see an owl where you live, send us a picture or give us a call, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Jennifer, we've been talking so much about different species of owls and, and how different cultures either revere them or they stay away from them. But I also want to talk about, you know, how wise are owls? Because we know that certain animals are intelligent and skilled in very different ways. So what does that look like for owls? Yeah, so you know, this has been a um <laughs> an interesting question in science. First of all, I just want to say all birds are far more intelligent than we ever imagined. You know, their brains are organized in a different way from ours, but um they're they're very efficient, they're very dense with neurons, and they're capable of really um sophisticated mental processes. So now we understand really across the board birds, birds are much more intelligent than we thought. Um and um, I, I will also say that the, the science of understanding the minds of other animals is really uh, it's still in its infancy. And, um, you know, we we're, we tend to view intelligence through our own lens. Um, but on the question of owl intelligence, is, the science has really been swinging back and forth. And we used to think that owls acted only by instinct, you know, that their behavior was just hardwired. But now we understand that, that these birds are, in fact, very smart, but perhaps in ways that we can't fully appreciate and have uh, difficulty measuring. Um, uh, you know, people who train raptors, they used to consider owls not as bright as as their other raptors. Um, but now they're beginning to understand that that the owl behavior is very subtle. It's very complex. And um, and and now that they're coming to appreciate this, they're really changing their tune and realizing that, ah, yeah, owls are in fact very smart. They're just harder to read in the terms of their behavior and their their very nuanced um, uh, uh, kinds of ways of being. Um, but they are very flexible in their behavior, which is a really good indicator of intelligence. And also um, they learn throughout their lives. Uh, one story I like to tell is about um, the, an ornithologist named Rob Beauregard, and I asked him whether owls are smart, and he told me a story about wild barred owls, uh, which are very common in North America. So he puts some, um, he actually trains these wild owls to come to a whistle so that he can tag them with, um, with a little GPS tracker or actually take the tracker off of them if he's already tagged them. And what he does is this, he puts a, a mouse in a grassy area. And when the owl comes down to catch it, uh, Rob whistles. Then he puts out another mouse, he whistles, another mouse, he whistles. And after only three mice, those owls learn to come to his whistle. And they learn it in one day, and it never takes them longer than three sessions to get um, completely trained. So this is really a quite... Um, a, quite an astonishing example in my mind of their ability to learn and 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 also they're just they're, they're smarts right i would need more than 3 sessions that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> i know that as fact as we're talking um and that's so fascinating you know as as one of the ways that owls are studied you know you 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 have different ways of tracking them and and studying them and and as you mentioned earlier, there's still so much about owls and birds and other animals that we don't know. So what do we still not know about owls? Well, one of the things that we we um, have been really, we found really challenging to um, uh, to understand is just their, their sheer numbers. These are not 
easy birds to study. So just getting our arms around like how many snowy owls there are or how many northern sawwit owls or how many barred owls. These birds are very hard to monitor. You know, they're so well camouflaged. They're so secretive. They often live in very remote areas. And they're often acted at a time when, when you know, it's difficult to access the field sites. So it's really taken decades of very hard research to, to puzzle out these birds in any deep detail. And we're still struggling with, um, with just how many birds are out there. And I'd like to give the example of of snowy owls, you know, we used to think that there were, uh, you know, it was a big healthy population of around 200,000, 300,000 snowy owls that lived in the Arctic. Um, but then we realized that we were actually counting the same pairs twice. And these pairs were actually nesting in different areas of the Arctic, sometimes in um, uh, in the, in the Russian area or sometimes in Alaska. And so we were counting the birds twice. It turns out that there probably are closer to 30,000 snowy owls than, than the hundreds of thousands that we imagined. So that's a very big gap and it makes a big difference in how we think about their conservation. Uh, so one of the things I say to people, you know, if you want to help out here, get involved in these, some of these survey efforts to, um, to monitor the, the owl populations. They're, they're happening, um, certainly all over North America and other parts of the world. And it's such basic information that we really, really need if we want to help, um, conserve these birds and make sure that our, that our children's children can, can see the birds that we see. Definitely got to support the birds. And we've got about two minutes here, but I want to ask, you know, we've been talking a lot about how owls are very quiet predators. They're very silent. And But when we think of the noise or call that owls make, we I think we tend to think of it as a who. And, but they also make a lot of other noises, too. You know, can you talk about that real quick? Yeah. You know, this was one of the delights of my research. I had no idea. But owls have really elaborate vocal repertoires. And their calls and hoots, they're really teeming with meaning. So they, they have greeting hoots and territorial hoots and emphatic hoots. And they don't just hoot, they also um, chitter and they squawk and they squeal. And all of these different calls actually communicate very specific information about the owl itself that's making the call, its size, its weight, its sex, even its individual identity and its state of mind. So there, these owls are calling in, in, um, and hooting in very specific ways in very specific contexts. And, um, it's, it's, it's just really fascinating. I think we really, um, underestimated their communication skills and, and we're just learning how very sophisticated they are. Yeah, I, I'm actually surprised at how surprised I am because that all makes sense. But why did I always think they only make like a who noise? So just, why? Why is yes. that? Yes, um, and and um, one of the really interesting things we've learned recently is that they have very very distinctive voices, just like we do, and they can recognize each other by voice alone, and they use that to. Oh, to identify um, their mates and kin, their allies and and their rivals also. Um, and you know these these calls, these territorial hoots that they have, turn out to be really consistent for each bird, and they're 
sufficiently distinct from one another that that scientists can actually fingerprint individuals using just their voices. Right. And so we're going to actually take a quick break here because it's Giving Tuesday. And just a reminder for our listeners that you can support your local public radio station by visiting ctpublic.org slash donate. And here are two of our colleagues that will tell us more about that. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we're talking to Jennifer Ackerman. She's the author of What the Owl Knows. And like many species, human activity is threatening their populations. And we're here to talk about why we should give a hoot about it. And for our callers, you can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Jennifer, I thought it would be nice to start this segment off with um, you reading a couple paragraphs from your book. I think there's a segment that you would like to share with us. Yes, absolutely. Um, Writing this book has grown my wonder at these birds. Owls see what we don't see, hear what we don't hear. Invite us to notice sights and sounds that might otherwise go unnoticed. With their quiet, subtle presence and cryptic coloring, they point to the value of not standing out in the world, but fitting into it. For owls, invisibility is a defense or disguise. For us, it's a privilege, one that, if we're lucky, may yield an owl sighting. Owls teach us what we can learn from an animal just by listening to it. They show us how distinctive they are as individuals, idiosyncratic, with as much personality as we have, and with a full range of feelings and emotions often expressed in deeply understated ways. They tell us that to get at their truths, we need to understand them over time. It's not enough to see quick glimpses. We think we know something about them, and then poof, they dispel our theories, offering up bent or broken rules and unexpected qualities. And so as we continue to learn those unexpected qualities and, and have our theories sort of diminished by them, and and as we learn by listening to them and and uh, talking about them more. Earlier, we talked about how different cultures view owls. So we'd love to get your thoughts about how that is actually impacting their population. Yes, well, the big threat to owls today is really um, habitat loss, more so even than than some of the more direct human threats. There are cultures, um, there are places around the world where Owls are still killed because they're considered bad omens. Um, you know, sometimes they're used, uh, they're killed for and used for medicinal purposes in some cultures. But really, the overwhelming threat to um, to owls today is is loss of their native habitat because of development. You know, agriculture, climate change. Um, and there's some species that are really suffering because they're they're specialists that are limited to to a very narrow ecological niche maybe a small geographic range they're they're uh, species that are dependent on say old growth forests and uh they they depend on the hollows in these big trees to um to build their nests in they depend on um, big meadows and grasslands that serve as their hunting grounds um, so, you know, the, these are, these are really the major threats, these loss of, loss of the old growth forest, loss of, um, grasslands that, that are threatening owls 
And also, I will say the the use of rodenticides by people to um, to kill rats and mice. Uh, unfortunately, the owls go after the the um, the the rats and the mice, and the the poisons accumulate in their systems and um, and and can cause them to to uh, to be very sick or die. And so, I think we often hear about owls being predators and whatnots, but I don't know if I really hear about how they contribute to the whole ecosystem. So can you talk about how do owls impact and contribute to to our world? Oh, well, they're, you know, they're top of the line predators. Um, and, and so they they really are, for one thing, they're an indicator of the, the health of an ecosystem. If the owls are doing well, chances are they, you know, the other species are also doing well. Um, they and they have tremendous um, economic value. People just aren't aware of this, you know, because they they do consume rodents in great numbers. They have um, economic value to farmers. Um, the example I like to give of this is in the uh, the farm fields of Serbia, um, where this has been studied. An owl family with um, three chicks will prey on uh, 8,000 rodents a year. <laughs> wow. And that saves a farmer on so- something like 16,000 kilos of grain. Amazing. So these birds are really um, performing quite an important uh, economic service. And I know we we talked about climate change and, and habitat loss and rodenticide. And I mean, there's so many things so many activities out there that's that's contributing to their loss. Are there other specific human activities that's also continuing to contribute to that and, and things that we can stop doing immediately? Yeah, so um, there are uh, a number of things. For one thing, um, you know, vehicle collisions are a big problem for um, for owls. And this is, this is not something, you know, you, you think about much, but... Um, one thing I learned is is the what they call the apple core message in um, in regards to owls. You know, we throw an apple core out the car window. We think it's um, going to be eaten by some creature, and it's biodegradable, et cetera. Well, it will be eaten by some creature, but unfortunately, it will probably be a small creature by the side of the road. An owl comes down to take that creature and gets hit by a car. Um, so that's a that's a, a a big thing to remember. Also, um, keep uh, people can keep their cats indoors. This is this is true, um, you know, across the board for birds. But cats will kill owls, and they also compete for their prey. Um, you know, cats are are lovely pets, but they should absolutely um, be kept indoors. And finally, the thing that I tell people. Um, to do is is if they have a piece of land, however small or large, um, that to try to preserve it for for owl habitat. Um, you know, there there are lots of ways you can do this. It's like don't mow your lawn if you can avoid it. Um, that draws in more prey for owls. You can leave dead trees and snags that um, standing if they don't pose a danger to your house. Um, and so the, it actually creates, um, you know, little patches of owl habitat. And if you're lucky, you might actually get an owl, um, you know, roosting uh, somewhere near your near your house or in your yard. Um, and then finally, I would say, you know, support the owl research, the education, the rehabilitation centers, organizations that are are promoting um, the conservation of owls and their habitat. 
And I know you in the book, you mentioned owls roosting in a little box outside your kitchen window, even though you've never really seen the owl come and go, but you know the owl's in there. And and earlier we had talked about how in Connecticut, you know, soon the snowy owls could be making their way through our region. So can you talk about their migration patterns? You know, is the is that a tip? Is, do we have typical patterns of them coming through Connecticut? Uh, no. So so it's very interesting. Snowy owls um, experience what's called eruptions. It's I-R-R-U-P-T-I-O-N-S of their populations. And these are um, you know, little explosions in their populations that occur when their prey base, the lemmings that they eat during the breeding season, are abundant. So there are lots of, of snowy owls that are um, that are born during this time. And the young ones will often move um, as far south as uh, certainly Connecticut, but even into into some more southern states during these kinds of eruptive times. And so they're they're not on a normal like migration pattern that you would think of with other birds where they're going from their breeding grounds to their wintering grounds and back again. Owls have, um, you know, much more... Uh, kind of nomadic way of um, of moving around. So they're often looking for prey. So they'll move from one spot to another until they find a, a really abundant prey source that will help them uh, overwinter. Uh, this is certainly true for, for the little northern sawwit owls that, that are very abundant in North America, but hard to see. They're very shy birds. Um, but they do this too. They they follow their prey and uh, and move around a lot. So we got a couple of minutes here, but I do want to ask, because earlier we talked a lot about owls having amazing hearing and vision. So can you kind of describe what that looks like and, and how do they have sort of a head that's designed for listening? Yes, they really do. Um, uh, they have um, what what we call a, a facial disc, which is, you know, this, this um, it's like a big external ear. Um, and these are owls that hunt primarily by ear, like barn owls, great gray owls. Their heads are just kind of tailored for listening. And this big flat facial disc, um, it's kind of like a feathered satellite dish and it collects sound and it channels um, the sound toward their ears, which are just little holes in the side of, of their head. Um, and the owls are just exquisitely sensitive to sound. Um, they have... Uh, very big cochlea, that's the hearing organ in the brain. And it's really, really long. Um, and it's packed with these hair cells, the hearing cells of the brain. So that gives owls a sense of hearing that's really almost unequaled in the animal world. Um, it's really, it's quite remarkable. And these are the owls that, that rely mostly on sound to hunt. There are others that, uh, that also depend on, on vision. And a, about a minute here, but because they fly so quietly and silently, so what makes their quiet flight so vital to their species? Yeah, so they have to approach their prey silently without alerting it, and also so that they can hear it. And, you know, an owl's wings and feathers are just brilliant at quieting sound. And I think it's really one of the great wonders of the bird world. And and researchers have only lately begun to tease apart its secrets. It's really fascinating. Right. And and real quickly here, you know, this, I obviously we can go on for days talking about owls, but just would love to get some final thoughts from you. You know, what do you hope our listeners get from this conversation today? Yes. Well, I think that, uh, you know, owls are, um, 
I just want people to approach them with a new curiosity and awe and really think of them as these very subtle, skilled, ingenious creatures um, and to really care even more about their survival and, uh, and lend a hand to organizations working for owl conservation. All right, so don't throw apple cores out the door, support all the birds, and don't mow our lawns. That's that's the list, right? <laughs> and keep your cats indoors. <laughs> and keep your cats indoors, indeed. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to Jennifer Ackerman. She's the author of What the Owl Knows, the New Science of the World's Most Enigmatic Birds. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for taking flight with us today and helping us learn more about owls. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, you can find a link to her book on our website at ctpublic.org. And today is Giving Tuesday. Help us stay on the air and support your local public radio station by visiting ctpublic.org slash donate. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download where we live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening.